very much. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so Professor Unken just told us that we have to look not only inside but also outside the earth to understand how tectonics work, but we're going to spend a little time just inside. So um, uh, for many, for a long time, uh, people invented various ideas about uh, what happens inside the earth to explain all the natural disasters, uh, such as earthquakes and volcanoes that uh, they have experienced on the surface of the earth. But uh, really, um, in order to, and of course, nowadays we are a little bit more um, savvy about this. We, we know that we have plate tectonics and we understand that there are convection currents inside the mantle that, uh, uh, that drive the motions of the plates. But in order to really um, find out whether this, these ideas are correct, we really have to look inside. However, uh, we can't really drill very far inside the Earth. The deepest hole that has been drilled so far is about 12.3 kilometers deep, uh, just because of techn technological uh, limitations. It is very hard to drill. Uh, the drill bits get heated and melt, and, uh, and basically it's quite difficult. But 12 kilometers compared to the radius of the Earth of 6,400 kilometers is just the little crust of the orange and uh, not even the thickness of the plates. So um, the technology that has been developing uh, really started not that long ago, uh, just over a century ago. Um, the methodologies of uh, seismic tomography uh, uh, take their origin in an observation of von Reuber Paschwitz in 1889, who was uh, studying Earth tides and uh, measuring um, uh, basically on an inclinometer in Potsdam and another one in Wilshaven in Germany. Uh, this is important. That there were two in two different uh, towns and observed one day in April of 1889 a particular disturbance that uh, they couldn't understand. Uh, it wasn't due to a cow hitting the instrument or any such local um, uh, phenomenon, but uh, of course at that time there was no internet, and so only a few months later he read in uh, Nature magazine that there had been an earthquake on that day at about that time in Japan. And he made the connection that uh, th that this observation was related to the earthquake, that this was these were earthquake waves seismic waves, elastic waves that were traveling inside the Earth from Japan to Germany and were observed there. So this was how um, global seismology was born. Since then, many, many improvements in instrumentation and uh, many um, observations have been made which uh, have brought us to the st state of the art today. Um, so... Uh, so basically, the important notion here is that seismic waves propagate through the interior of the Earth and interact with the structure. They, um, they, uh, their speed 
varies with um, uh, with the kind of materials it goes through, uh, and uh, it depends on uh, both the temperature and the composition of the rocks and materials uh, they go through. And so, um, uh, oops, as a consequence, you have waves traveling different paths, diving very deep into into the earth. You can observe them for a relatively large earthquake all the way to the antipode. And uh, on uh, records, uh, on seismic records, you see them as a succession of arrivals, which we call phases. So I'll be using this word, um, which uh, then we can uh, kind of take back to what the path through the Earth has been. Uh, they reflect and reflect, uh, refract on the discontinuities. And I have this little, um, I don't know how to do this. How do I do? How do I, um, um, do I activate the, uh, the movie? No, maybe you can do it for me. Yes, this is just to illustrate an example of one specific. You have a source at the top, and then um, and several stations. No, it didn't. Okay, sorry. <laughs> maybe I have to do it myself. So I have to go back. Okay, so you can see the wave field propagating inside the Earth and reflecting and refracting, and stations are picking it up and uh, recording the sequence of waves. Uh, nowadays, we have very uh, sophisticated instruments that allow us to record quite faithfully all these successions of waves, and some of them go through the Earth. Um, uh, that we call them body waves, and, and the, um, they, uh, um, they go back to the surface because uh, of uh, the laws of refraction and the uh, uh, index of refraction sort of increasing with depths in the Earth. And then we have some that uh, travel uh, around the Earth, uh, around the surface of the Earth. We also, if we look, at, um, uh, this uh, seismogram is about an hour's worth of record, but if we look for large earthquake, uh, and uh, over a period of here half a day, 14 hours, you can see succession, um, successive arrivals of energy um, that uh, have traveled around the Earth in different directions. So these are the surface waves, the long-period surface waves, where this first arrival of energy at the station will have traveled the shortest path, and then the second one will have gone around the Earth uh, on the long path, and then the third one will have gone around the Earth one more time, and the fourth one the other way, etc., etc. The energy decreases as a function of time because these waves travel longer and longer paths, and the Earth is not purely elastic, but is also um, uh, you also lose energy through um, an, an elastic um, uh, loss. Uh, and if you take the spectrum of such uh, a record, you find standing waves, you, you find peaks at very specific frequencies which correspond to the standing modes of the Earth, to the free oscillations that are characteristics of the Earth's structure. It's like a bell, a bell size, the, what it's made of, and, um, um, and its shape 
gives you the, a specific sound. And so by uh, measuring these frequencies of free oscillations, we uh, can have some information on the distribution of, of, uh, of uh, parameters, elast elast physical parameters, uh, specifically elastic velocities. There's two of them. Uh, compressional and shear, and density inside the Earth. These are some of the gravest modes that uh, basically uh, correspond to uh, uh, deformation of the Earth, which is here highly exaggerated. Um, this is called the football um, mode, which is the longest uh, period mode, about 54 minutes. Uh, another one here is called the breathing mode, where the whole Earth um, contracts and expands uh, uh, in, sync, in sync. And then there are some modes called toroidal modes that correspond to uh, one hemisphere here turning around in the opposite direction to the other hemisphere. But all this information has, um, has allowed to build progressively better and better models of the Earth's interior in terms of these elastic parameters that we, uh, we uh, have access to. So the compressional wave velocity uh, and uh, shear wave velocity and density. And this has been then confronted with what we know from mineral physics, from the study of uh, uh, materials at high pressures and temperatures to uh, determine uh, what, uh, what, what the interior of the Earth is made of. And in particular, we know uh, this we know already since the uh, beginning of the 20th century, um, since um, uh, that the Earth has a liquid core made up of uh, primarily of iron and then a mantle that is uh, solid uh, made up of silicates. Uh, the, uh, you can see, for example, here the shear velocity, which is the light blue curve, goes to zero in the outer core, which is the liquid part. And then in the center of the Earth, we have a solid in a core where, again, um, uh, there is shear. Uh, there is no shear. The shear waves are not transmitted through the outer core, but, again, there is shear in the uh, so-called inner core, which is about 1,200 kilometers um, thick. We're going to focus on the mantle from, from now, now on. This model, by the way, is called the PREM model, the Preliminary Reference Earth Model. It was built already a long time ago, in 1981. And until this day, it serves as a very good reference. We call this a 1D model. The, the, the parameters vary only with depth, no, no lateral variations. And uh, we are fortunate that the Earth is, uh, to a very good first approximation, made up of concentric shells so that we can represent it uh, and have a, a very good reference model uh, made up of just uh, a, a profile as a function of depth inside the Earth. Okay, silicates, okay. Uh, but, of course, uh, this uh, view of the 1D Earth, of its concentric shells, the crust, the mantle, the core, is a static view. And what we're interested in is really more how we can visu uh, visualize the dynamics, the uh, plate tectonics, uh, the uh, continental drift here I wanted to show, but I'm not sure I can do that. Uh, let's forget it. But anyway, uh, the plates are being moved by um, convective currents, which, uh, which uh, you know, by analogy, you can, or, or is the same kind of concept that when you heat a fluid from below, uh, and the cork is uh, 
sitting on, at, the, at the surface of the fluid, you will uh, the, the cork will be moved around by the uh, convection currents that are um, basically evacuating the heat uh, from inside the fluid. Uh, inside for the Earth, of course, we have spherical geometry. And uh, this, this is a cartoon which I actually don't really like uh, because it's very simplistic, but it gives you sort of a first sort of frame of the convection currents uh, in the mantle, very slow uh, velocity, say, at uh, uh, roughly at the speed of the motion of the plates of a few centimeters per year, uh, uh, coupled with the lithospheric plates uh, and uh, basically uh, driving their motion. So uh, how do we go beyond the 1D models? Well, uh, this is where seismic tomography comes in. It's very uh, similar in uh, concept to medical imagery. And uh, essentially, it's... Uh, it's a class of, of methodologies where you do non-invasive investigation of the inside of a body uh, and using as sources uh, some kind of waves. So in, uh, in, uh, in medicine, it would be x-rays of IRM, etc. And in uh, seismology, these will be the uh, seismic waves. We have... Um, now, very sophisticated instruments to record these waves. We call them very broadband seismometers. We like to install them for the global studies in very deep mines, uh, uh, as shown here. Uh, and uh, uh, there are many of these all around the world. And they are now uh, telemetered uh, in real time, most of, most of the time, to... Uh, 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 data centers that collect the data and, and help us analyze them all together. Our limitation is that the sources of, uh, compared to medicine, is that the sources of our vibrations, uh, of sources of the waves, are not distributed uniformly around the world. These are the natural earthquakes, which um, happen, as you know, primarily on the borders of the tectonic plates as shown here, and then uh, most of them are shallow with only uh, in subduction zones, uh, uh, earthquakes uh, reaching depths uh, in excess of 600 kilometers, uh, maybe up to 680 kilometers. We also have the problem that the Earth is covered to two-thirds by oceans, so uh, we have, it is quite challenging to install uh, seismic stations on the ocean floor. We can install them on islands, but there's not that many islands and also the islands are very noisy because of the wind that, um, uh, that is very strong. And so our, we also have a bias in terms of the distribution of stations. And this is not a complete distribution. This is just a, there's many more stations uh, on the continents that, than are shown here. But these are the challenges that we have because, in fact, the principle of tomography, which is here shown on the right, uh, here is that if you want to determine um, an anomaly, uh, uh, a region that is hotter, or, um, or uh, here an example of hotter region embedded in a colder region, you need to uh, be able to measure the, the travel times, which will be slowed down by this hotter region, not only in one direction going uh, across like this, but you also need to have so-called crossing paths, so that you can really localize where this anomaly is coming from. 
And so this is really the uh, the leading principle of, of obtaining resolution in uh, in tomography, which uh, we are striving for. Um, of course, in the Earth, uh, on the global scale, you have to take into account spherical geometry, the variation with depth of all the velocities. And um, I guess I should uh, mention that what we measure is not directly the temperature, but if we measure travel times of seismic waves, they tell us directly, give us information on velocities, on seismic velocities. So compressional waves will give us um, uh, information on p-velocities, shear waves on, on, um, on shear velocity. And um, so we have this convention of color where we always indicate uh, red uh, indicates slower than average, blue indicates faster than average images as obtained by um, combining information from many different paths around the Earth. And uh, to first approximation, we can interpret them as the slower than average, meaning hotter than average uh, mantle, and then faster than average, interpreted in terms of colder than average. It's not strictly uh, correct because there is also effects of composition, which we know can be important. And so, uh, one, uh, what we're striving for is to try and uh, basically put an end to a, a, a very long uh, controversy about. Uh, the, the plan form of convection inside the Earth. What is going on? Is the whole mantle convecting, like uh, in this uh, cartoon number one, where slabs go all the way down to the bottom of the mantle, where upwellings of, and plumes come up from the bottom of the mantle all the way to the top, or this uh, other extreme case, where the, which was favored for a long time by geochemists, uh, I will say a little bit more about this, uh, which is that uh, there would be two uh, uh, regions in the Earth, the upper mantle and the lower mantle, which would be practically uh, not, would practically not communicate, as shown in here. And then there are some intermediate possibilities, as shown uh, in, the, in these uh, other slides, with uh, some um, uh, imperfect communication, but still communication between the upper and the lower mantle. So what is it? So, uh, from now on, I'm going to show you some of the results of, uh, uh, that have been obtained from global mantle tomography. And I'm going to show you, uh, most, uh, most of the time, I'm going to show you maps uh, where we strip uh, the top of the Earth and we look at a particular depth inside the mantle, uh, like shown, for example, here. So, basically, uh, going through slices through the, um, through the, uh, through the brain. Um, and uh, also sometimes I'll be showing cross-sections going then across uh, from some profile, uh, taking a cross-section inside the Earth as a function of depth. This is one, one of the very first uh, tomographic models of the upper mantle obtained in 1984 by Woodhouse and, and Jivonsky at Harvard University. And this is uh, shown at a depth of 100 kilometers. And you can see here... Uh, what is represented is only the departures from the average shear velocity at this depth. Uh, so we take out the average, we take out the reference model, and look at the deviations with respect to that, um, 
to that average. So this would be slower than average. Think about it as hotter. And this would be colder than average, blue, uh, or um, um, yes, faster than average, so cold. And you can see that already here, it is extremely striking that this map is like a confirmation of the of the plate tectonics. You can see the ridge system, which is indicated here by the yellow line, corresponding to uh, regions where the velocities are slower than average, so hotter. This is what you expect when new crust is formed. It's coming up and it's hotter. Uh, so you can follow the ridge system here, the East Pacific rise, the Indian uh, ridges, and the uh, Mid-Atlantic ridge. You can follow uh, the, you can also see red regions here um, in these subduction zones here in um, in the back of the subduction zone, this is still very low resolution, but uh, which corresponds to the um, upwelling regions behind the, uh, the subduction where all the volcanic arcs are. And then you can also see the uh, cooling of the Pacific plate as a function of age. You can see you go from red to blue from the East Pacific rise to the older parts of the ocean. And that is really reflecting the thickening and cooling of the Pacific plate. And finally, you can see the uh, very striking blue regions that uh, cover the um, cores, the cold cores, the old cores of the thick continents. Okay, you can see this north, the Canadian Shield, Siberia here, Australia, Antarctica, uh, Brazil, etc. Now this, for comparison, is a more recent model by the same group uh, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, most of, uh, at the same depth, it's also 100 kilometers, sorry, the uh, label, oops, uh, was, um, is missing. And you can see that uh, the ma major features have not changed. Uh, we can only s basically see more details in these figures. Now, what is interesting is what happens when you go deeper into the Earth. This is, again, 100 kilometers, but now this more modern uh, picture of, of the um, tomography of shear velocity. And again, you can see the relation with the, um, uh, with the tectonics, the um, uh, new cross forms, the subduction zones and the back arcs, and then the thick continents. As you go deeper, the picture changes quite drastically. You lose this first order signature of plate tectonics, and it is replaced by a, a, fig, a picture where you uh, not necessarily recognize as much, except perhaps these regions of uh, uh, fast regions here in the Western Pacific and in South America, which correspond to um, subduction zones. And here I'm showing two depth cross-sections uh, from um, more higher resolution um, uh, models uh, focused on subduction zones. Subduction zones are particularly well suited for tomography because you have many earthquakes and many um, many stations that can illuminate the region. So these are depths, cross sections from the surface to the bottom of the earth. This is a thousand kilometers, 660, uh, in Japan and here another one in um, in South America where you can see the slabs Right, the tectonic plates diving into the mantle and then expanding, extending 
or uh, flattening here in this particular case at about 660 kilometers, which is the limit between the upper and the lower mantle, which corresponds to a mineral phase change uh, where the olivin decomposes to uh, perovskite. And um, the, uh, in the global tomography, you can see these regions quite well because of this uh, width of the subduction zones that, um, that flatten at uh, 660 kilometers. If you go deeper, the picture changes a little bit more, and now you've lost uh, this, these big, big features corresponding to the subduction zones, and what is left is only uh, a few places here, like the Fiji Tonga and, um, and the northern parts of South America, where, in fact, these um, uh, uh, more higher-resolution models show that uh, the flats are the, uh, the slabs are going deeper. They are now flattening at uh, deeper depths, at about a thousand kilometers. In this case, I will get back to it later. And then if you go deeper into the mantle, uh, now we're going very deep at uh, 2,800 kilometers, which is uh, just 100 kilometers above the core mantle boundary, above the boundary between the silicate mantle, solid, but flowing very slowly, and the more uh, vigorously convecting iron, uh, liquid iron core. And the picture has changed dramatically. And now it has been replaced by, a again, a long wavelength kind of coherent structure with a ring of fast anomalies um, surrounding two regions of uh, low ve ve uh, shear velocities. These two regions have a horrible name. They've been named Large Low Shear Velocity Provinces, or LLSVPs, and our community hasn't found a better name for them. But if you have an idea, <laughs> I think it could still be valid. Um, and uh, this blue uh, ring of fast velocities is considered to be the... Um, uh, uh, it's it's um, it's a speculation at this point, but this uh, is considered to be perhaps the graveyard of slabs, of the tectonic slabs as they fall into the mantle. And so this is now a sort of a, a summary of what we see as we go from the top to the bottom. A lot of small-scale variations that we may or may not uh, completely understand in the mid-mantle. Very well-defined structure at the top related directly to plate tectonics. And then another structure, type of structure at the base of the mantle, which we're still trying to figure out uh, what the, um, the role of these large low shear velocity provinces are, is in the dynamics, in the mantle circulations. This is another view of these large low shear velocity provinces now uh, filtered to their longest wavelengths, so taking just the longest wavelengths in, in this figure and putting it in a 3D um, kind of uh, um, rendering where you can see this ring of fast velocities and the two uh, large low shear velocity provinces would happen to be antipodal, so opposite, um, uh, opposite of sides of the earth and centered on the equator. Uh, and uh, more interestingly even, the, um, these little yellow dots or golden dots are showing, this is the axis of rotation of the Earth, by the way, um, which passes um, uh, through, well, where the uh, fast ring passes through the axis of rotation. 
And these are positions of the paleo um, pole of rotation of the Earth, which uh, for at least the last 250 million years is uh, contained within this fast velocity region. So this uh, inspires the, um, this suggests that these features may have existed for very long times from the, in the geological uh, point of view because they uh, happen to correspond to a stable uh, configuration from the point of view of the moments of inertia of the Earth. Now, of course, today the Earth's mantle is solid and uh, the rotation does not play a significant role in the convection, but sometime in the past uh, the, uh, there has likely been a magma ocean and much uh, lower viscosity in the mantle, and that could have uh, contributed to this. The other interesting part of this is if you compare this to what you would expect um, a, a low, the lowest degree two, the so-called degree two convection pattern, the simplest pattern of convection inside a spherical Earth, which um, would have two rising currents uh, corresponding to these uh, uh, antipodal regions and one uh, sinking current corresponding to these uh, blue regions. So uh, this um, this uh, basically suggests that uh, perhaps not only subduction but also uh, some um, aspects of um, these uh, large features at the base of the mantle might actually play an important role in uh, in the convective currents. And so Talking a little bit more about what goes on at the very base of the mantle, what are these large low shear velocity provinces? Um, as usual in geophysics, we come up with lots of cartoons to try and visualize what might be happening and then discuss, you know, these different possibilities. And, uh, and so uh, quite a few different uh, possibilities have been uh, put forward that these large low shear velocity provinces could be um, so-called domes of, that uh, could be rising, very large domes rising uh, from the bottom of the base of the mantle. They could be piles, uh, metastable piles from which uh, corners uh, the um, some uh, mantle plumes are, are rising, or they could have uh, different shapes, or they could also be not a single compact structure, but a so-called bundle of plumes. Uh, with the um, subduction zones uh, uh, kind of limiting uh, the uh, area in which they happen. So uh, one, uh, one aspect uh, that, uh, of course, has been uh, quite intriguing since uh, plate tectonic theory uh, was uh, discovered and, and accepted uh, was the presence of, uh, of volcanism in the middle of plates. Volcanism such, such as that of Hawaii and also volcanic chains uh, whose, uh, where the age of the extinct volcanoes increases here in millions of years in the direction of the motion of the plate here, the Pacific Plate. And already early on, uh, first Tuzo Wilson, I'm missing his name here, I don't know why, and then later Mo uh, Morgan uh, suggested that uh, the origin of these, this mid-plate volcanism, which couldn't be explained as easily as could be uh, mid-ocean ridge volcanism, where new plates are formed, or subduction zone volcanism, where plates go back down, would be the uh, existence of plumes of hot material that would be anchored at some um, boundary uh, a layer inside the earth and the plate would be moving 
uh, over these plumes and volcanoes would successively become extinct and a new volcano would be formed above the plume. Morgan specifically suggested that this boundary layer where these plumes would be anchored would be the base of the mantle, so the core mantle boundary. Uh, the idea of plumes uh, comes from uh, uh, numerical experiments and um, also experiments in the laboratory showing that if you heat a fluid from below, this is as a function of time, plumes of hot material rise to the, uh, to, from, so heat from below and cool from above, plumes of hot material rise to the surface. In the classic representation uh, that uh, is scaled to, um, to the Earth's mantle, these plumes would have very narrow stems, perhaps 200 kilometers wide, and a very big head uh, as they, which develops and hits the upper surface. There is another reason for um, uh, thinking that there is uh, something going on and plumes that might be tapping uh, a reservoir in the deep mantle is the observation that um, uh, hotspot volcanoes have very different uh, compositions, especially isotopic composition in trace elements from mid-ocean ridge basalts. And this was the basis for geochemists to suggest that there was a, re a reservoir inside the Earth that was not tapped uh, very efficiently and only tapped by these uh, hotspot plumes. Uh, and this is why they also liked the idea of these two layers of convection uh, uh, separating the upper and uh, the lower mantle quite effectively. Okay, so um, uh, all the pictures I've shown you of tomography so far have been based on some relatively classical approaches of tomography where you measure the travel times of uh, waves that are um, uh, very easily distinguishable on the seismogram, the P wave, the first arrival compressional wave, the, shear, the first shear wave. This one is reflected once on the uh, surface of the Earth and then the fundamental mode surface waves that come uh, later. However, there's many other wiggles here that correspond to waves that have bounced around inside the mantle and that have not been exploited fully. And um, fortunately, in the last... so. Uh, to exploit them fully, you really want to be able to use the entire seismogram, not just picking some specific phases. And this has been made possible uh, over many years, of course, uh, but most recently uh, by uh, allowing, uh, uh, by the fact that we now have very powerful numerical wave field computations, um, um, we can... Uh, basically uh, compute how the seismic wave field propagates through the Earth very precisely without, uh, main, without much uh, approximation um, about the structures, whether they're, uh, they're sharp or strong or smooth. Uh, and we can compare these calculations to, um, a, to the observed seismograms. So here is an observed seismogram with its body waves, the ones that dive into the Earth, and then the surface waves arriving later. And this is a prediction from an existing model, which has been computed using these powerful methods, uh, this method called the spectral element method. It's a finite element uh, type method that is particularly suited for these computations. We use parallelized uh, 
high performance computing to compute these, uh, these synthetics. There are many still technical challenges because of course computations are, are quite heavy. But what I'm going to show you to finish uh, this presentation is uh, a few pictures that have been obtained uh, with um, these uh, more powerful techniques that, uh, uh, that allow us to go deeper into the uh, seismograms and extract more of the information. And so what's here, shown here is another rendering of uh, the structure at 100 kilometers depth. Uh, it's just a different color scheme, a different model, but it's, it's essentially the same. These green dots are the hotspot volcanoes, uh, so the mid-plate uh, uh, hotspot volcanoes. And I'm going to first show some uh, pictures of what we see in the upper mantle and then go into the lower mantle here in the mid of the Pacific. And in particular, uh, so there's Hawaii here is one, and there's another Samoa here, and then there is the so-called Pacific Superswell, uh, which has a, a, a a bunch of these uh, hotspot volcanoes. And so we're going to look inside and um, inside that particular region. So now we're looking from the south and what we're looking at is a 3D rendering of a recent model where we only represent um, the uh, parts of the model that are slower than average. So again, think hotter than average. These cones, green cones, are the locations of the hotspot volcanoes, and this is the structure uh, represented down to about a thousand kilometers. You can see some interesting features. First of all, I, I don't have time to um, spend on this, but in shallow levels, you see what is we call the low velocity zone, which is a well-developed uh, zone right under the plates. The plates are cut off here, you, uh, ex except uh, uh, you don't see them because we're looking only at the hotter than average part. And then under underneath, you see these columns that are oriented vertically and that seem to correspond uh, they're in the vicinity of these hot spot volcanoes. Uh, this is a movie that I'm not going to show because of uh, sake of time that was showing this in different areas, but we're going to go down um, now and look from the top, more or less, deeper into the mantle at what happens to these columns. So here we have a view from the top starting at 500 kilometers depth. So we've stripped off everything that is shallower than 500 kilometers and we're looking down. The uh, numbers here indicate the locations of the volcanoes. So this is Hawaii, this is Samoa. These are the super swell volcanoes and you can see a continuation of these columns down deeper into the mantle. Um, here is, again, a slightly different view of the same, but now we're going to go down deeper and deeper to see uh, cross-sections of these columns, uh, what happens to them at deeper depths. So this is 660, 1,000 kilometers, 1,250, 1,500. You can see they're still quite separated from each other. Uh, 1,750, 2,000, 2,500, and here we're getting close to the Cormantle boundary and we're seeing stronger anomalies and perhaps some uh, merging of, of the features. So these structures, um, which are now visible in the most recent tomographic models, um, are quite striking. These are uh, several of them. So these are cross-sections, depth cross-sections from the top from the surface to the Cormantle boundary here, across half of the world. And you see 
and they have been um, des we've designed them to pass through one of these um, hotspot volcanoes. This one, Samoa, Pitcairn, McDonald, and here you have three of them in a row. And you can see these columns of uh, slower than average material uh, rising practically vertically from the Coromantel boundary to um, the uh, at least a thousand kilometers depth, which is indicated by this uh, uh, by this um, uh, line. This is a picture I showed you previously of what happens in the upper mantle, which is um, pretty much uh, uh, these uh, columns have um, become uh, narrower in the upper mantle, which is uh, what you would expect if in. Um, if the viscosity of the lower part is higher than the viscosity of the lower, lower of the upper part uh, of the mantle, you would expect uh, such plumes to narrow. But what is striking is that they are very wide. They are much wider than what would be expected from these standard modeling um, exercises, where because these uh, right these in our modeling uh, they are about a thousand kilometers wide but in the lower mantle and we can show indirectly that they could not be as thin as 200 kilometers because this would imply a much large much too large uh, temperature uh, contrast we see them also in um, the other part of the world so under africa where the other uh, large low shear velocity provinces at the base of the mantle here under cape verde well this is McDonald again in the Pacific, but St. Helena Volcano, Canary uh, Islands. And you can see um, that there is something happening to them at about a 1,000 kilometers. Many of them get deflected. And so the idea of a plume going straight down from a hotspot volcano to the Comanto boundary is... Um, um, uh, is not uh, is not valid anymore. Uh, a, lo uh, a lot is going on in the upper part of the mantle where the convection is um, stronger, and these uh, plumes get clearly deflected uh, going through this part of the mantle. Our resolution is still not high enough to to see in in great detail what goes on, but uh, this is really what uh, what is going on. And so this has to be. Um, kind of confronted with the um, with what happens w where the um, fast uh, velocity structures occur, the, the subducting plate. Here you see uh, some cross sections in uh, in Japan, Honshu and northern Benin, where you see the slabs ponding at 660 kilometers depth, as I had shown you previously. But in some other regions, the like in Tonga here, Kermadec, they appear to pond much deeper. Uh, at about uh, the depths at which uh, the plumes are also pounding on their way up. So this has generated a lot of interest because we know that at 660 kilometers we have a phase change. We know that we expect a change in the um, rheology, in the behavior of the, the deformation behavior of materials, but there is no such um, um, well-established uh, uh, boundary at a thousand kilometers. So, um, so many people are now are trying to uh, figure out whether this is simply uh, uh, the slabs uh, ponding first at 660 and then dropping down to 1,000 kilometers, and we happen at present 
time to see them at this depth. But then you have to also explain the, the plumes ponding at a thousand kilometers or whether there is a, the rheological boundary between the upper and the lower mantle really in, is, um, the upper mantle should be considered as uh, the first thousand kilometers rather than just the first 660. Uh, another interesting point is that these very fat plumes are all located above the um, large low shear velocity provinces. So all the dark spots here, black or gray <coughs> or white with a gray rim, are, are hotspot uh, plumes that we, or are these uh, big fat plumes that we can associate with existing hotspots. There's many other hotspots that are not located around the um, LLSV, above the LLSVPs that do not have as a strong and fat plume associated with it. And so um, the reason why we might have these fat plumes is still, of course, not uh, really understood. But one idea is that they may not be just due to thermal um, effects, just to uh, temperature, uh, the, the fact that the core mantle boundary is hot and the surface is, is, uh, is cold, which would uh, give rise to very simple narrow plumes, but that uh, there might be some um, layer, initially denser layer at the base of the mantle that is partially entrained by the plumes, uh, as shown in this picture, uh, where uh, they would have a kind of a variety of shapes um, uh, and uh, also become fatter. One last picture of Hawaii here, a rendering of the Hawaiian plume, which this is one cross-section, uh, which shows Hawaii, and then a um, kind of another feature here in Samoa. The Hawaiian plume and a few others uh, have been shown in addition to uh, extending straight in the lower mantle uh, till at least a thousand kilometers depth. And you can see here at the top, it is deflecting and meandering uh, through uh, the upper mantle. But there's also something intriguing, which is that at the base of these uh, plumes, we have evidence for structures that are complete, very extreme. Structures uh, that... Um, uh, large structures about a diameter of 900 kilometers, very thin, about 20 kilometers height above the core mantle boundary, but with a shear velocity reduction of 20%, which is huge compared to these features, which have only a few percent uh, velocity anomaly. These are called ultra-low velocity zones, and um, they, uh, their existence uh, has been shown in, in many regions, but uh, very specifically recently under some of these plumes like Hawaii, Iceland, and Samoa. And perhaps they exist everywhere and they may be due to the existence of partial melting with uh, denser um, uh, core here uh, with more um, iron perhaps inside the, um, these ultra-low velocity zones that would explain their very low shear velocities. And so this brings up another cartoon, which is somewhat different from your standard uh, kind of convection pattern in the Earth, where you would have a different upper mantle, but perhaps limited at a 1,000 kilometers with more vigorous convection in the upper part, and then a stagnant mantle, uh, much less uh, movable, mobile in the lower mantle, with the exception of uh, plumes making their way through, fat plumes, and then uh, slabs 
slowly falling down into the base of the mantle. So this is the Earth we saw in the 1960s, in the 1980s, now, and hopefully and soon we will see really what we're things better. So thank you. Thank you.